It's Angela Yee, and I'm telling you right now that the Alive Podcast Network app is the best directory of podcasts created for us by us. From relationships to making money moves, there's a show that'll captivate every listener. And for my fellow Black creatives, this is a call to action to take your brand and monetization to the next level. It's for the culture. Join the movement and sign up today. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com, coming soon to iOS and Android. Improving equity and prosperity through film. That's what we're discussing today on The Devil is a Lie. The Devil is a Lie. Here's your host, Angel Nicole. The Devil is a Lie. This is your girl, Angel Nicole, bringing you authentic voices willing to share how they defeat imposter syndrome and adversity. From Where is America the Beautiful to Frederick Taylor's Emmy Award-winning film, Meet the Team, taking Jay setting from underground clubs to the main stage. This young, award-winning filmmaker is making his mark in the infotainment industry, focusing on social justice and advocacy. Taylor's films capture our attention while leaving us with a resounding message that will hopefully enlighten our way of thinking and shift the ways in which we view others. I'm super excited to welcome Mr. Frederick Taylor to The Devil is a Lie. Welcome to the show, Frederick. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. And so I want to start here. Your name. Yes. My listeners, they're going to think I was drunk typing in your name for the podcast description. They're going to think that I don't know how to spell Frederick. Yes. Why does your name look like a password protected name? It's to avoid uh, being raided by the FBI. Huh? It's to throw them off the trail. So when they're trying to trace me or find me or search me, you know, I'm an alphanumeric now. I'm not... Uh, are you being serious right now? Or are we like, no, are you no, like pulling I'm my not. leg? No, I, I'm I was really like, going for it. I'm like, exactly. Really? That was pretty, that was pretty good. You know, cause <laughs> this whole equity thing that you want to do, I mean, come on now, you know, you will draw the attention of the powers that be as well. So you've got to, you got to protect, you got to protect yourself too. All you got to be cognizant of, of that uh, as well. So it was something I was very inspired to do. Um, at the dawn of uh, the age of the internet and Googling and all this other stuff and how to find people. And I wanted people to be able to find me and I didn't want to pay all this money to Google to put me at the top. And so I share the same name as my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, you know, so I was kind yeah. of buried in this name. And then there's a, there's a former NFL running back by the name of Fred Taylor as well. And then the the father of modern economics is named Frederick Taylor as well. So I said, you know, I'm going to change it. I'm going to put it to something else that I know no one else has, and I will immediately go to the top. Now, is this like a legal name change? And spell it out for our listeners so everybody knows, like, this is like some real crazy. To spell it out, it is F-R, the number three, D-E-R. R, the number one C K. And if you type that into any search engine, you will get only the information that is me. No one. Else. Now, is this like a legal name change that you did? You know, it's so funny because I'm really flirting with the idea of going ahead and legally changing it to that, um, to the chagrin of my mother. See, I have a mother and my mother's black. And <laughs> I, um, 
and she ain't having that. Yeah, you know what I mean? You really want to go in there and explain that. There's all this other stuff that you're trying to sneak past her. Is that high on the priority of something you want to try to get past your black mother? No. I, I, I just doesn't feel like it, you know. <laughs> you know, so it's it's probably not a good idea, you know. So Oh goodness. I love it. All right. So talk to us about how or what inspired you to get involved in the filmmaking industry? I just sort of backed my way into it. I mean, growing up as a kid, I was someone who liked art and music and culture and dance and all of this sort of forms of expression. And then I was the kind of kid that got really into social justice. And my heroes were often Black. The -hmm. first two Black people I ever read about when I became literate as a child were Martin Luther King and Wilt Chamberlain. It, I know it's it, it, it's it's bizarre. I mean, obviously, two people at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, two people that could light it up when <laughs> the, the spotlight hit them, and so maybe that was what it was. You know, yeah. if you could light it up and you were black, I was just Indian. You were here I for it. Know, I was there for it. I just I loved that. I, I loved black people that could succeed in spite of their circumstances. So then what sparked your strong advocacy for the LGBTQ community? My mother um, had a brother who was a part of the LGBTQ community. And unfortunately, he had passed away of HIV prematurely. I mean, he's a young man mm-hmm. when he passed away. And that just had a really profound effect on me. And he was kind of the oopsie baby in my mom's family. So he was 10 years younger than my mother and 10 years older than me. And so he was my only representation of having an older brother because I was the eldest in my family. Yeah. And so I just thought he was cool. I was like, wow, he just dresses well. He likes all good music. And like, he just was an interesting person. He used to have this VW um, orange colored rag top car. And I thought, mm-hmm. of course, I thought it was, I'm a little kid. I thought it was the coolest car in the world or whatever. You know, he just, he was perfect to me. Like Austin Powers-y. Exactly. And I, and okay. I thought that that is a amazingly interesting and fabulous way to be and how to live your life as a person. And he was always kind and considerate and he was funny, you know, he was bright and he was smart and he was articulate. And it was just, it was just, wow, I love this guy. Uh Um, And uh, it wasn't until I got older that someone, you know, people, you know, you're a kid, you don't think about these things. And then people start trying to tell you these things and explain the world to you. And no, that person's LGBTQ and that's not a good thing. And you're like, what are you talking about? Do people ever ask you or mistaken you for being a part of that community because of the work that you're doing? All the time, constantly. And I'm, and I'm just like, I don't even understand how they can make the cause and effect relationship. So if I was making, you know, films about astronauts, would that make me an astronaut? No. You know what I mean? It's, it's silly. You know, there's, there's a certain level of insecurity that we have about the LGBT community that we're always just trying to throw people into the pit of the LGBT community rather than thinking about it as, wow, you can actually care about someone in the LGBT community or you can help serve in the LGBT community and you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily a member in that sense. It's just like, I do things with other communities as, as well. I know you you advocate for women, uh, sure. Black people, you yes. know, minorities, right? Yes, I absolutely. think that the ignorance on a lot of people's part is, as a Black man, right. if you speak well, right. if you're educated, 
Yes. If you dress well. Yes. Especially if you dress kind of metrosexual, like, you know, you, right. got, you, you got a small frame, you wear exactly. the little fitted pants, exactly. you know, <laughs> the, the European style shirts. Sure. They're right. automatically going to assume that right, but it doesn't you're make not any sense. into women. It, it, which is silly, you know, because European men wear the European style clothes and they don't think that they are a part of the LGBT community. And if European men were wearing a dashiki, we wouldn't necessarily assume that they were part of the African diaspora. Why is it just if a black man does it then suddenly we're questioning his sexuality or, you know, if he says, excuse me, thank you, please opens the door for someone is very respectful, actually has a broad based vocabulary you know, is empathetic and can think in a fourth dimensional space, suddenly we're questioning this person's sexuality or integrity. It's crazy. I mean, I used to talk to my grandmother. She's passed away now. She passed away in 2018. But we used to have this conversation all the time because she was just like... She would ask you? No, we would just talk about it because she knew that I wasn't because I'm her grandbaby. Wait a second. That doesn't mean anything. Just because you're her grandbaby don't mean that she's not gay. (laughs) I understand. She's very, she understands me. We've always had a transparent relationship. If I was gay, I would have told her and her son was gay. So she knew, she knew what to look for. You know, I was like, I'm not going to sneak that past her. She knew I wasn't gay. And based on kind of the trampy girls that would call her house looking for me, she kind of figured out I was not What? You had trampy girls calling? It was, it's this weird thing. It's just, I'm this magnet for women that need to be fixed. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, this is the other end of the, the bright, intelligent, articulate black man is that you attract women that are like, oh my God, fix me. Or like literally women will meet me and call out and go, that's my baby daddy. Right there, that one. I want that one. That guy. Really? Yes, that guy's educated. That guy's smart. That guy would hold the door for me. That guy will pay the rent on time. That guy will not let the lights go out. That's appealing. I mean, it is. is, You know what? You you know, they always say that, like, the girls that are kind of like, like you described, Uh they want the the well-educated, the college man, the, you know, the softer side. And then the well-educated women, they want the thugs, the... Right, exactly. It's horrible. I mean, have you ever done speed dating with black people? I mean, it's no. insane. Really? You know? Yeah, they're, they're really smart. You know, the Harvard bound law black woman looks at me and goes like, nah. You ain't it. You oh, ain't no, it. trust but, me. Exactly. And then the girl that, you know, <laughs> she's got a weave and you hey, know, I she got worked, a weave. It don't look like and it. yours is yours is lovely. Yours, <laughs> I would have never guessed. There's a different okay, saying, there's levels. What well, we could spend half an hour talking there, about. There's weave. levels okay. to it. There's, yeah, there's levels, levels to, to weaves. There are weaves that are like that is a weave, <laughs> and then there is weaves that are like oh, the, her hair is lovely. Right. <laughs> right. I get it. All right. So you're a fixer. Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, hey, like we all have our thing. Um, And I think like when it comes to storytelling, even does it impact the way in which you tell stories or the way in which you want to portray women? Because you also advocate for equality in women. Absolutely. Without without question, they go hand in hand. I cannot advocate for equality of all people, in particular men of color, without the inclusion 
and the equitable inclusion of women of color and specific to the ones that I know the best, the ones that raised me, black women. I, that, that's the thing I know best in this world is black women. I love it. Because I meet, I meet them and then we become friends all the time. It's crazy. Because I'm interesting and I'm smart and I'm bright and I make them laugh and I can say things that reflect them and I'm not threatening the situation and I can keep myself together and all of that other stuff too. And then I know really fun places to go to dinner as well. Are you, like, you're I'm in really Atlanta, good. right? Yes. Uh-huh. So, you know, if they say like, I really want to go to an art gallery, I'm like, oh, I got the perfect art gallery. I just... I live in a sophisticated lifestyle. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what, what am I supposed to do. I'm I'm a big James Baldwin kind of fan or Paul <laughs> Robeson or whatever. I love into, intelligentsia. So and there are a and lot culture. of and culture. Black women love intelligence and culture. It's their thing. It's their go to. You guys just all day long talk about that, you know. And I can survive in that in that space. I have the patience and understanding for it because I grew up around so many black women. And so how do capturing these different stories from the um, African-American story, the women's stories, the LGBTQ community, like how does capturing all of this shape your life? It makes it whole. It anchors it. It it gives it a center. It's reality. In reality, we are equal parts male, female. In reality, we are binary as far Wait as Wait a second. Our... You said we're equal parts male, female? Correct. As cool. far as how we think and feel, as far as how we're people, you know, biologically, you know, there is a difference between you and I, but on a meta level in how we navigate through life and how we deal with things, there are things that you will do in your life that you will act out something that would be perceived as more masculine Mm-hmm. And then there are things you will act out that will be perceived as more feminine based on the situation you're in. And me as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I enjoy children. I enjoy being around kids. I'm, you know what I mean? And, and that's yeah. perceived as a more feminine type of exercise. I don't feel that it is. I think it's a duty that all adults have to children. I think it's right. normal. We mm-hmm. should humble ourselves in front of children. But we live in a weird society that has feminized that. You know, but at the same time, you at times as a woman of color and business have to go get yours. And if somebody's standing in your way, you're not going to move. And if they want to view that as as aggressive or as masculine or you're the horrible B word, that's on them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So exactly. So that's what I mean by we are equal parts to both, because I I think that is a better representation of reality. I mean, the bottom line is that Serena Williams is the greatest tennis player ever of all time, period, bar none. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if I got out there in the court right now, she, she'd beat me into submission. She could be, (laughs) she could be 65 years old and she could still beat me at tennis. I mean, she's that good. She can beat 95% of the people on the planet. Right. But how, so how are we going to quantify her as she's just a woman tennis player? That's impossible. Right. You know, why does Michael Jordan get to be the greatest athlete of all time, but Serena Williams cannot be spoken of in the same space? It's because we have gender bias. Right. And this is just something that is of the mind. And sports is all about raw talent and mental toughness and focus and discipline. That is the only level to which we should grade talent on. Everything else after that is just people's opinions. Right. You know, when they talk about like who's won rings. Mm-hmm, Jordan has mm-hmm. six rings. LeBron only has four rings. Who's better? Come on. 
That's a ridiculous. Yeah, it's relative. It's a it's a ridiculous metric. It's like I wouldn't say to you, oh, you're not successful because you're not Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. You know, I meet you. I look at you. I interact with you and I go, man, there's a successful woman. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That's all that needs to be said. I mean, you look at me and you go like, wow, that's a really bright guy. That guy's like. He's not crazy. He's got his <laughs> stuff together. That's that's the only metric that needs to be there in evaluation of people. And sadly, within our own culture, sometimes we evaluate each other harshly and incorrectly mm-hmm. as well. And sometimes that does lead into the sexual realm as well. And yes, I am misidentified a lot as gay, but I don't care because I am looking at it from a humanist standpoint. And when I really think about it in a strange, backward way, it's kind of a compliment. They're basically telling me that I'm well-spoken and well-dressed, you know, and what for whatever it's worth. Now, if someone says at that point, oh, I reject this person because I think they're gay, they're missing out on a lot. Yeah. They really are. The And that, those that's my point with this, is that the opportunities that will pass you by because of your cultural biases is huge. I mean, just look at how much the powers that be or the establishment passes our culture by all the time, and they miss so much. Let's talk about some of these cultural biases that you so eloquently kind of highlight in your film, Counter Histories, Rock Hill, and the inspiration behind producing that particular film. The inspiration behind producing that particular film is the legacy of my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and what those individuals went through post-Civil War, post-Reconstruction, post-World War I, World War II, you know, Korean War, Vietnam War, whatever. I mean, those people, and you have them in your family as well, they were warriors. They could have said after they got, you know, kicked out of slavery and said, you know, I'm just going to sit on my butt. I'm not going to do nothing, eh, whatever. I mean, a lot of people of color got to work and where they were at the beginning of the 20th century and where they were at the end of the 20th century, in my opinion, is the most progression, amazing accomplishment in the history of humanity to turn it around in a hundred years. When you, if you know history and you read, it takes hundreds of years, maybe a thousand years for a group that comes from an oppressed slave state to actually being able to arguably function on par with their oppressor. There is something magical about being Black. There is something special about being from Africa. Africa is the motherland and the genesis of humankind because it always survives. Hmm. I don't know how it does it, but it just does it. And it's like there's this special sparkle that's there that permeates when you walk into a black church or you are talking to an old black woman and she just lights you up on the inside or you're watching black kids dance or whatever, you're just like, what is that? That is just, you you can't get it anywhere else. And then they all look good and their skin looks great and everybody's <laughs> moisturized. And you're like, how does that happen? You know? And it's so funny because as much as these other groups sometimes are very biased against us, they still sit there and go like, oh, I wish I could be that athletic. I wish I could dance like that. I wish my skin would just hold up like that. And my skin's so dry. There's just so moist. They're so jealous. They're so petty. <laughs> I wish I could build muscle in the gym like that. You know, they, they think about all these things. And I'm like, hey, this is the genesis of man. This is like, this is you. This right. is the core of you, who you are. You right. need this to, to grow. Stop trying to cut it off and neutralize it 
and stomp it out in eight and a half seconds over a $20 bill in Minnesota. Okay. All right. The devil is a lie. You guys are tuned into The Devil is a Lie. We have Emmy Award winning filmmaker Frederick Taylor joining us. And we are going to keep our conversation going. You just definitely hit a very pivotal point in history, which kind of sparked the Black Lives Matter movement and all of that. So was that in part influential to you creating the film? It's a part of the fuel that 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 takes me there because, you know, you've got to, you know, as my grandmother used to say, you got to turn lemons into lemonade. Right. That is something, again, built into our culture, into the DNA of like, even in spite of the insurmountable situation that we're in, let's figure out a way to make this work. Let's elevate. Let's, you know, as you know, my Angelo would say all the time, it's like, still I rise. Absolutely. That, just that concept, that construct, like, I mean, what do you, what do you mean still, no matter what, no matter how many times I beat you down and kick you around or whatever, you still getting up? Yeah. It's insane. There's a really great fight you should watch, a boxing match. Um, you can Google it. It's Joe Frazier versus Muhammad Ali after he returns from his three-year hiatus. Mm -hmm. And it's like a huge fight. It was in Atlanta. Frazier hits Ali and knocks him down. Ali's never been knocked down before in his entire career. He's the great, he's already considered the greatest fighter ever of all time. Frazier hits him with a left hook. Ali goes down like a sack of potatoes. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's knocked out going down. Yeah. He literally pops back up like he's on a trampoline <laughs> and he's standing there and he's out, you know, but he's back on his feet. Yeah. You could not knock that man out. Yeah. He, anytime anybody knocked him down, he got back up. And this is what I mean when we evaluate people, we look at all of the wrong things. You know, it's like when I think about Michael Jordan, I think about the flu game. I think about the things where he overcame. Yeah. Michael Jordan was cut from his basketball team in high school. I mean, what he did internally to say, I'm not going to quit. That's the story of who we really are as, as, as people. So those are the things that I see. And those are the things that I gravitate towards. And those are the stories that I want to tell, like, you know, counter histories and these brave men who walk into a diner and say, I'm not going to leave unless you serve me. And they get arrested and go to jail mm -hmm. and, and help to start the civil rights movement. Right. And yes, it, it is, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And it is like looking at that eight and a half minutes of hell and going like, I can't sit here and let this be like this. And I'm not going to allow myself to be scared to be able to go outside. And I need to go outside and do something about this so I can make other people feel less scared to go outside. Exactly. Because in that flash of a moment, and I'm sorry to say this, and with all great attention that has come to us from many liberal, empathetic white people, they still can't help us on that. Mm -hmm. We still got this relationship with law enforcement that we might get killed. Unarmed black person gets shot. That's a, you know, white people are like, yeah, I can get out there and pick it for you after you're dead. Right. Who's going to save me? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So we have to save ourselves. And I make films to create the mechanisms for us to save ourselves. And we're not waiting on nobody. Right. You know, that's how I view this. And that's how I'm inspired to continue to move forward as an artist. I love it. So we are going to move into our last segment, which is known as our devil is a lie moment. This is a point in time where I am going to ask you to share a point in time where you did not know how you were going to make it out of a particular situation or where you were dealing with your own internal imposter syndrome, which 
all of us deal with at some um, point in our lives in some form or fashion. So really, I want to know like what the situation was, how you got out of it, and then what was waiting for you on the other side. It's interesting that you you brought up the imposter syndrome. Um, one of my favorite films of all time is The Last Temptation of Christ, directed by Martin Scorsese. Willem Dafoe plays Christ, and he's walking around for the whole movie thinking he's an imposter. How can I possibly be Christ? It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. And these series of events need to happen to show him the way or the path. And so in in living and walking through this imposter syndrome that we all go through, the the igniter or the fuel that gets us out of it is sometimes it's internal and sometimes it's external. It depends on who we are and what situations we're in and where we have been placed or put in the in the world. For myself, it's happened several times. I was someone who was born with a disorder called scoliosis. I had curvature of the spine. I had scoliosis, lordosis, and kyphosis. Curvature of the spine, felt pelvis, and shoulders. So I was turning hump back. My, my hips were getting crooked and my back was getting crooked. I was becoming deformed. My mother recognized this and he took me to a clinic and I had to wear an orthoplast jacket from fifth grade to 10th grade, which is one of the most critical developmental periods in a person's life. You know, I was stunted in a sense because I was like in this brace all the time and people thought I was a weirdo, was like a kook or whatever. And they'd say, pull up your shirt. And I pull up my shirt and I had this like apparatus around me. And I remember... I hated it. And I, I, in the beginning, I was just crying, 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 crying. I didn't want this, but I, I had to do this. I was in fifth grade and they said, you're not going to get out of this until 10th grade. When you're in fifth grade, 10th grade might as well be a thousand years in the future. You can't even put, wrap your mind around. Now I know that five years, that's a drop in the bucket. I think I've partied for five years straight. <laughs> but at that particular time, it changed me and reformed me as a person. You know, And so they kept telling me what I couldn't do, what I couldn't do, what I couldn't do. And I said, I'm doing that. You know, I, they said, you can't play Little League Baseball. I'm like, I'm going to play Little League Baseball. They said, you can't play basketball. I'm going out there and I'm playing basketball. And I remember the moment that it happened. We we're playing a team. Our sh- shirts were black. The other team's shirts were navy blue. And the refs couldn't tell the difference. And they were like, one of your, your teams are going to have to take their shirts off. And I sat there and was like, please, please, please don't let it be our team. We can keep our shirts on. And guess what? We lost the coin flip and we had to take our shirts off. And I had to play that game with that shirt off in that orthoplast jacket. And everybody in that auditorium in that gymnasium was like and I was out there balling I'm not gonna lie you know what I mean I was, was playing a game of my life you know what I mean because I was playing for my life and I walked away from that going I'm somebody I don't have to be anybody but me and I can overcome anything and it has stuck with me my whole life and I didn't let that interfere with me you know and m- maybe I had this orthoplast jacket on but I'd walk up to you at the dance and be like what's your name what's going on I talked for me, you know, and I'm like early in high school, I had to wear it and they were kind of laughing or whatever, you know, uh, let me tell you something. And that jacket came off. I got junior, senior year. Hey, it was on. I was somebody. I ended up being like treasurer of the student council. I was on the basketball team. I was on the baseball. I was, I was popping by the time I got to senior year in high school. Do you know what I mean? And it changed my perception of self, and by changing my perception of self, changed other people's perception of me. They had to back up. But your confidence changed. You gained a certain level of confidence. And to me, there's nothing more sexy or uh, important than self-confidence. Because if you're walking around and you just like, la, 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 
and you know, you don't respect yourself, you don't have a certain level of confidence in yourself, nobody else is gonna really have it for you nobody either. Nobody else is, is is going to is as well. And it's it's so funny because, you know, getting back to the sexual orientation thing, once you get to know me, you're like, Oh my god, he is not gay. I think I love him. <laughs> He's so great. He's so amazing. I don't wanna lose him. You know, I just keep my my sexuality and, and how I perform sexually is respectfully contained. Mm. I don't need to showcase that 24-7 all the time. That's personal. That's intimate between me and someone that I care about and they care about me. So are you in a relationship now? I am. I, I love that um, low, long sigh. <laughs> I know, because you know what it is? It's just, it, life, is, life is funny. Life is challenging. And, you know, I do have someone in my life that I care about deeply as well. And I have to be cognizant of it and work at it. And I've got to be respectful and I have, you know, I, you gotta, you gotta make the effort, yeah. you know, because there's a really funny Chris Rock uh, stand up. He says, men are only as loyal as their options. Sadly, th- there's a certain amount of truth to that, you know, because women, for some men, they're just constant incoming scud missiles. Like you just, I mean, I can be standing in the grocery line and someone will start talking to me mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow. You know, and you you have to take a higher step to a higher order to say, you know, I'm not going down that path. We can be friends. We're cool. But, you know, you got to you got to you cannot be friends with somebody that you meet in the grocery store no. line. If you've got a girlfriend, unacceptable. Well, we it's over for? by the parking lot. It's, it's, it's over <laughs> by the parking lot. No, I love yeah, it. Yeah, because what people. Right. Because people have different agendas as far as how they view relationships and how they interact with people or whatever. And some people are just hypersexual. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's how they, that's how they roll. That's their, that's their thing. And that's equal parts, men and women. You know, that's not stereotype from one or the other. Women at times can be a little bit more covert about it. They can disguise it a little bit more, but when they ready to spring it on, you'd be like, oh my God, wait a minute. Like, you know. Where does it come from? Yes. It's, it's, it's an interesting life that we lead when it comes to relationships because it's one of the most important things that we do but at the same time it's not all of us either right no very true you can't be absorbed yeah you can't be consumed by it right right you know there are other things that at times are actually more important true so what's next for you like what what do we have coming down the pipe um i'm working on a film right now with a uh a rabbi about um judaism and the connection between uh jesus christ uh, and Judaism in it because, you know, yeah. Jesus was a Jew. Yeah. And we live in a cultural discourse right now where certain people that are in sort of this sort of conservative hierarchy are saying that Jesus wasn't a Jew. So there's a lot of things that are happening that I'm crossing outside of my own culture. I'm doing another piece that's about the assimilation of Asian Americans into uh, Atlanta as well, the Burmese community. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's outside of my culture, but people look at me as someone that is a leader in these cultural spaces. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And then I keep winning awards with my LGBTQ piece, uh, Jay setting, If Cities Could Dance, that just is like fire. I'm a Black futurist at at heart, you know, as far as how I feel about things. I always see Black to the future. I'm not obsessed with like, oh, this stuff that happened in the past. We didn't get this. We didn't get that or whatever. We should correct those wrongs and talk about that history. But we still need to be like focused on tomorrow. Absolutely. And that's why my company is called Tomorrow Pictures as well. That's the inspiration of it because it's always about images of tomorrow. And I see myself as a Black person as it's an image. People look at me and they go, oh, what's that? Or they're trying to dissect it. And I I don't get the benefit of the doubt. I'm a perp. Mm -hmm. 
I'm being profiled. Right. And I use that to my advantage. I, I want to get into the Atlanta independent black film scene. So I'm producing my first feature film with another black director that I'm helping to shepherd and to mentor as well, because I, I don't, this isn't about me. Mm -hmm. This is about people. And in particular, my own people, and then moving out of the diaspora from there. So what I want to be, my ultimate goal is to be a Barry Gordy type, mm -hmm. where I am starting to create a mechanism for other people of color that want to operate or that vibrate on a higher level. Yeah. And so I'm willing to share pieces of myself with these individuals in order to achieve this as a group. So we're doing a film right now. It's about a father-son relationship. The mother dies. The son's trying to rebuild the relationship with the father. The father has been, he's kind of street or whatever, and he's hyper-masculine and they're trying to work it out. And that's the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important story to tell because there's not enough communication that goes on between black fathers and their children. And I understand that I'm very sensitive to that, you know, and I want to be able to create through film a dialogue for that. And this director writer does too. And we just sort of synced up. And I'm like, this is a message for me to say, hey, I need to get off of my ego here and I need to extend a hand right? and then see where that takes us together and not worry about like, what's, what am I getting out of it or what's mine or whatever right, right. And the focus is it me, 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 you know, that's going to take care of itself. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to worry about that. Yeah. That's between something else greater than me. You know, that's, I'm, I'm here to do a job or a, a service. And this, this particular individual is a very grounded, very humble person as well. And I respect that. And I, I love black men who respect other people. They're my favorite people in the world next to black women as well. I mean, I just, that's just so great. You know, like sometimes you're in a room full of black people and everybody's vibing. Yeah. You're like, this is great. Yeah. Why can't this be like this all the time? Yeah, absolutely. I'm here for it. And I'm also here for all of the amazing work and film that you are creating and producing. And um, I think that storytelling is one of the industries that transcends cultures. And it gives us an opportunity to enlighten educate and also entertain people with positive outcomes that can actually impact their lives um, and how they see people, mm -hmm. how they um, engage with one another. So I applaud you for the work that you're doing. I wish you much success in everything that you have coming down the pipe. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. This has been a, a, a pleasure. And um, I'm just so blown away, you know, for to, for you to get out there and say the devil is a lie. That, that takes a lot of courage as, as, as well. I said, that's awesome because <laughs> it is. But no one ever says that, yeah. you know, it's like we're just kind of scared of it all the time. And let's not talk about it. Let's not really kind of get in there and, and deal with it. And you do. And I admire and respect that as well. Thank you. And so everybody that has tuned in, I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. And I would love for you to share your thoughts and your comments about this episode. So please write a review, like, share, and subscribe to The Devil is a Lie. And be sure to follow me on all social media platforms at The Angel Nicole. That's T-H-E-E, -E, Angel Nicole. And be sure to follow Alive on all podcast 
platforms and social media platforms at Alive Podcast Network. The Devil is a Lie is a production of the Alive Podcast Network, engineered by Julio Gonzalez of Zymer.co, and music is provided by Audio Vibes. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform or check us out online where you can see the lineup of other podcasts at AlivePodcastNetwork.com. While you're there, you can also express interest in joining the Alive Podcast family. We hope that you enjoyed today's show and remember, there is greatness within you. And if anyone tells you any different, the devil is a lie. Until next time, be blessed. The devil is a lie.